The Bible Study Podcast, episode 322. Today, the Bible Study Podcast finishes up the study of John chapter 2. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We pick up our story of the Gospel of John in chapter 2 of verse 13. Jesus clears the temple courts. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their temples. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So it's interesting that John's gospel puts this as early as it does because, and this is one of the reasons why we think that John didn't care quite as much about the chronological order as the theology of what was going on because the other gospels actually put this in the last week before Passover or the last week before Good Friday. But Jesus goes into the temple and he finds sheep and cattle and doves and money changers. And at first that might seem really odd, but when you think about it, everyone was required to bring a sacrifice and people would be traveling and they wouldn't necessarily have a sacrifice with them. So they would buy a sacrifice. They'd buy a cattle, sheep, or dove, depending on what their net worth was. And we know, for instance, that Jesus' parents were relatively poor because they bought two doves to dedicate him when he was born. And that is a poor person's sacrifice. And so people would come, and they might come from other countries, and so they wouldn't have shekels. They wouldn't have the coins that you needed to change to buy the sacrifice. And so they had to change their coins first, and then they had to buy a sacrifice. But the problem here, of course, is that people are getting ripped off, and that this is distracting from what the temple itself is about. This is something that doesn't have to take place in the temple courts. And I think as Jesus sees this, we get in the other Gospels, he calls them a den of thieves. And so he has some problems with how they're going about their business here. And so he drives them out. And this is not something that they expected. This is not a typical move for a teacher, an itinerant teacher especially. And so the Jews ask him, what seems to be a reasonable question, which is, by whose authority are you doing this? Well, you don't work for the high priest. You don't work for the Romans. You don't, you're not associated with the teachers of the law, the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees. So who are you to tell us what to do? And he gives them this cryptic answer, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they don't know what he's talking about. In fact, the disciples say, John points out, that they didn't understand what he was talking about until after Easter until after he rose from the dead. They all thought he was talking about the physical temple that they were standing in, the temple of Herod. This is the second of the temples, not as great as the great temple built by Solomon, but still pretty darn impressive. And so they 
don't understand what he's saying or they think he is nuts. Basically, they say it's 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. That's just ridiculous. So they didn't get an answer to their question, by whose authority was Jesus doing this? Well, Jesus, of course, knew whose authority he was doing this when he said, stop turning my father's house into a market. But he wasn't repeating it yet. When he says words to that effect, when he is standing before the high priest later on, they will accuse him of blasphemy. So he doesn't give them a straight answer right now, but there is a straight answer to the question. He is doing it by the Father's authority. This is not their temple. This is God's temple. And that is something that was easy for them to forget. When they looked at the stones and all of the pillars and all of the things going on there, they thought of it as Herod's temple, maybe. But it isn't Herod's temple. It wasn't Solomon's temple. It's the temple of the Lord. And so he is telling them what is appropriate here in God's house. And I think this is important for us to remember, too, even as we think about our churches today. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not the priest's church. It is God's church. And if it isn't, then what is it doing? Then why is it there in in the first place? It is intended to be the church of God, a church that follows after what God is trying to do. And then it says he performs many signs, and John has this interesting thing, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Many people believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. He's saying he wasn't fully open to all of these people who were believing in him because he knew what was in their heart. He knew who was going to follow and who wasn't going to follow him. And so he chose some followers around him. And we always see these stories of Jesus tells the parable and then the disciples say, what did that mean? And he explains it to them. But he doesn't explain everything to everybody. And John goes on to say why. It says he understood people. He understood what they were thinking, understood what was in their hearts. And we lead right from there into an interesting story, which is Jesus and Nicodemus at the start of John 3. Remember that John, the gospel writer, tells us that Jesus understands what's in this man's heart. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now I say that Jesus, we are told by John, the gospel writer, understood what was in Nicodemus's heart, which is good because it didn't seem like Nicodemus just got a straight answer. In fact, Nicodemus hasn't even asked a question yet. All he's saying is, we've seen what you've done. Remember, it says the crowd saw and believed. Nicodemus has seen also, and he believes also. It says he believes that no one could do what Jesus has done. And John hasn't really gotten into the miracles that Jesus has performed, except for that one water into wine thing so far. But he says that he's been doing miracles. People are believing, including this Nicodemus. But Jesus looks at this man and says, you have to be born again or born from above, depending on your translation. So suddenly the conversation has gone off in a whole different direction. 
and Nicodemus tries to catch up. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be plainly seen what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, this is rather a long answer, and especially, again, considering that Nicodemus didn't come with a particular question, but Jesus started this whole conversation of being born again or born from above. And then he ends up with some of the most well-known verses in the Bible. These verses, John tells us, were said to Nicodemus. And who is this Nicodemus? He's a teacher of the law who has come to Jesus at night. Well, that's interesting because Jesus goes into this whole thing about about evil and darkness and light and following God. Nicodemus has come at night probably because he is afraid to be associated with Jesus. We'll see throughout Jesus' ministry that he has a lot of opposition from the teachers of the law. And so we get the impression here that this Nicodemus comes at night because he does believe and because he really wants to know more about Jesus, but he doesn't want anyone to know. And so that's interesting that all of these phrases here about people being ashamed of what they do in the darkness are mentioned to this man. And this whole verse about God so loved the world. And a couple things here. God so loved. God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. This isn't a matter of so much, but in this way. One other thing in here that Jesus mentioned is he mentions at this point that he will be crucified. He mentions that he will be lifted up in the same way Moses lifted up in the snake in the wilderness. I don't know if you remember that story, but the people of God had been rebellious to God, and therefore God had sent poisonous snakes And people were being bitten and they were dying. And Moses prays and said, what should I do? And he was told to raise a bronze serpent. And anybody who looked up when they were bit and saw this bronze serpent would be saved. And so Jesus says, just like that, the Son of Man himself needs to be lifted up. And is starting to talk here already in John 3 about his crucifixion, about his death. And he's already starting to say, this person who understands what is in our hearts 
that the light has been rejected, that people loved the darkness, and therefore that he is going to be rejected. He tells this to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is mentioned twice in the Bible. And it's interesting to note that the second time he's mentioned is the opposite of this time. Jesus has just been crucified. It is Good Friday. And two men go to collect Jesus' body to have him buried. And they're not his disciples. They're not Peter and James and John. Those have scattered for fear of the rulers, for fear of the teachers of the law, men just like Nicodemus, but it's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that go and collect the body of Jesus and lay him in the tomb. Nicodemus, who is afraid to be associated with Jesus at this point, later on when it seems like it would be the most dangerous time to be associated with Jesus, comes forward and says, I'm with this man, this man who you just killed. Did this conversation with Nicodemus have an effect? You be the judge. That seems to indicate to me that it did. I think with that, we'll end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. This is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Ministry podcast. Learn how to share and defend your faith by listening to us weekly. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.